Today on Movie Wallace, we talk about Fauci, The Guilty, and The Last Duel. For Movie Wallers. Hi, this is Joe. Hi, it's Rashmi. And Yazdi as well. Movie Wallers is your weekly dose of film reviews, movie news, and general banter in theatres, on DVD, online streaming, or in the back of an airplane. If you love the movies, this show is for you. Yay! And this show really is for you. Although, it's kind of for us too. We do like the sound of I think it's voice. more for us. Yeah. It is somewhat but for us. But we like to think it's for you. It's for everyone. <laughs> It's for everyone. <laughs> Movie Wallers is... A weekly dose. For everybody. Indeed, yes. Um, so, uh, gosh, what a um, what a way to start the podcast. You can tell that we do this live with no... Uh, preparation. Preparation or practice. So hor- horribly prepared. Anyway, um, here we are. Three movies to talk about. I thought you were going to say, here we are. Three people right. enjoying each other's company. Well, that too. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. In Yasti's house. Again, with mm-hmm. amazing snacks. <laughs> I love your snacks. Yasti. Yeah. I want, did, I, did you, I seriously, I've said buy this on... These, so we're eating were garlic, parmesan. Oh, that's right. You said and sprouts. sprouts. Yes, yeah, yesterday. I forgot about them. Yeah. Sale, so I just got them, yeah. But, you know, I've said this on previous podcasts. I think I want to give you an allowance. <laughs> and then I think you go shopping. Set me free. Yeah. Yes. And you buy our stuff for us. I like when Joe goes shopping because he also does, you also pick fun things. Basically, I bring back the junk food because Rashmi won't buy any. She comes back with like all, all, you come back basically with all healthy stuff. I'm like, where's the ice cream? (laughs) All the, all the chips. Chips. Yeah. Potato chips are like. Kryptonite. Kryptonite for me. I cannot leave, I cannot have a a bag of chips in our house without munching through them. At the very first opportunity, I'm like, oh, I'm a little peckish. Let's go grab the chips. And they call to me. Joe, come <laughs> to us. Come over to but the But you have side. premium snacks. No. Yes. Well, if I, yeah. I mean, if I see something I haven't had before, or if it's, or if it's something I've had before, which is delicious, good, delicious, I'll get it. Yeah, and I'll keep it I don't think I've had the same snack twice at Yasti's house. Oh come on, Robert! Can you think of a time when we've had the same thing, other than the fruit, which is always delicious? No, actually, Yasti. Mm. I'm impressed by that. Next yeah. time it'll be sawdust and water. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not coming for that. Yeah, I'm not coming for that. We'll record at our place. All right, babbling, babbling, babbling. Um, we're high off our last podcast that we just recorded, so... Um, I think the biscottis hit me, the sugar. Yeah, yeah, the, mm. the, the biscotti were rather good. I noticed you ate all the chocolate ones, Rashmi. I did. That's why I asked you the question to start with, do you like the chocolate-covered bit or the other bit? And you went, I like both for different reasons. And then I was like, okay, well, then I'm cashing in on the chocolate-covered one. How does both give you the license to eat all the chocolate ones? Because they were there. Yeah, I thought... Was, this is how it works, Yasti. I have to get it's to okay. everything. I have to hide snacks and rush me. 
Three weeks, three weeks go by and said snacks have not been touched. I'm like, she didn't really want them. Right. It's anybody's game. She couldn't have. So I eat them. And then the following day, <laughs> she goes, where are the... Blah. Blah. Where are the, where are the chocolate-covered almonds? I'm like, uh, I just finished them. <laughs> my tummy. But I, I'll go get you some more. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it works. Anyway, enough snack talk. We have so much more to talk about, and this is uh, Movie Wallace, after all. So, um, three movies to talk about, but we did want to go and do some more streaming picks, which um, we haven't done for a while, and we should keep doing. So, mm-hmm. um, let's talk about what we've been watching on VOD. Okay, I can go first. So, I um, have always been blown away by Phoebe Waller, Bridge, and... This is, again, good timing. Phoebe Waller-Bridge just got um, credit for writing the screenplay for the new Bond movie, Mm -hmm. which we haven't reviewed yet. We will review in the future podcast. But she was invited to do a rewrite or an additional write of the screenplay because they wanted her point of view on the script. And she actually got credit for it. So in, in view of what a great voice she has and what a unique voice she has, Um, Not only is she a great writer for things that she's not starring in, she's an amazing writer for things she's in. And she's also a fellow uh, person from my area in England. Um, Anyway, so I basically went back through her her film filmography and um, she's got a series on Netflix called Crashing. And this came out originally in the UK as a, as a series. Um, it's about six twenty somethings kind of living together, um, just post college. They're all new in Korea, and um, it it's excellent. Uh, each episode is maybe twenty three to thirty minutes long, and it's brilliant. I literally binge watched five episodes and then managed to finish. You know the other the other three or four. That were remaining, and um, this was bef- this was pre Fleabag, um, so I can see the evolution of the character. It's not the same character in Fleabag that she plays here, but I can see that the character she played in Crashing was definitely the basis or the foundation for um, hmm. Fleabag. So Crashing, and that's on Netflix. On Netflix. Very what you got, Yazdi? <clears throat> I got. Uh... The series was just dropped, I think. I can't help you with movies on... My, my Alexa was listening okay. to you, Yazdi. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. So and I... She would, and she refused to help you. And she refused to help Yazdi with uh, <laughs> any options like on Netflix. So Alexa said, I cannot help you with options of Netflix. Correct. That's why you come to Movie Wallace. Sorry about that. <laughs> so my recommendation is a series which dropped very recently on Netflix. And uh, it's called Made, M-A-I-D. And it's based on the real life uh, story of a woman who was in her 20s and um, she essentially decided 
that she had enough of of the abusive relationship from her husband and took off literally in the middle of the night with her two-year-old daughter. And how in order to get any benefits while she was looking for a job, she needed a job to be eligible to get the benefits. And um, she eventually went on to write a book about it. And the name of the book is Made Hard Work, Low Pay and a Mother's Will to Survive. Uh, so it was created by Molly Smith Metzler. And this is uh, the uh, filmed version of it. Um, in case anything I said sounds very academic or very... Yeah, I was like, going to say, it sounds dull. It's not, it's anything but dull. I watched the first episode, which was an hour long. And I literally, even before Netflix, you know how it gives the next episode to you? I jumped to the next one. Um, um, I love when that happens. I love when that happens because it's it it's based on real life. And, you know, if I feel bad about how complicated my life is this just really puts perspective on you know this is not somebody who is uneducated this is not somebody who is exceptionally poor and the things she had to do to just navigate things and it it talks a lot about you know if you if you're suddenly left without nothing in spite of being in the most affluent nation in the world things could be extremely dire Mm -hmm. for you and there is kind of this reverse classism which comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the reason to watch it is the main actor. It's um, uh, Margaret Qualley. And if you remember, Margaret Qualley was the girl in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that the Brad Pitt character kind of uh, tags on to. Uh, she was part of the commune over there. Yeah, 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 yeah. She is remarkable i've seen three episodes there are 10 i haven't finished seeing it but i cannot wait to find seven more hours in my schedule so i can jump on it and watch it It, they go by very quickly and the good thing about it is it's really entertaining it's really it's an empathy generator it's it makes you think about you constantly putting yourself in her shoes um and uh margaret qualley's claim to fame is she's the daughter of andy mcdowell Remember Andy ah. McDonald from Three Weddings and a Funeral and Green Card and, you know, any number of movies from the yeah, 80s. Yeah. Andy McDowell plays her mom in this. Oh, that's uh, great. Which is great. And Andy McDowell plays this kind of flighty, unreliable, bohemian mom who likes to paint all day and has no sense of responsibility. Um, and it's so beautifully put together. Um, it's just very, very tight. It it. It, it, it avoids being soapy every single time. It almost gets to the edge of being soapy and then pulls away, but very finely done. So made, M-A-I-D. Excellent. Okay. My pick comes from, uh, excuse me, my pick comes from Amazon Prime Video. Um, and I've been a long time fan of um, the series Top Gear and Top Gear, the UK version, um, was essentially, you know, led by three presenters, one of which was Jeremy Clarkson. Jeremy Clarkson's a very polarizing character. He um yeah, he's he's kind of got that English old public schoolboy kind of arrogance about him. Uh he's very funny, his writing is excellent. Um and so he um and one of the producers of the UK version of Top Gear company, a, a guy by the name of Andy Wilman, 
um, decided to follow Clarkson as he decided. Um, he owns a piece of land in the west country of U- the UK, a farmland, and presumably he owned it for tax reasons. But for, for whatever reason, his farmer decided to retire, so he decided to undertake uh, the uh, management of this farm himself, knowing absolutely nothing about farming. Um, he decides to run an entire farm, um, uh, uh, basically single-handedly, and film the experience. And um, the, p- the product of that is a series called Clarkson's Farm. And hmm. it's about seven or eight episodes, uh, which each of which go by the title of tractoring, sheeping, shopping, wilding. Um, and it really, it, it, it's, it starts off as kind of a tongue-in-cheek look at... Um, what farming is about he feels like he's not really taking it all that seriously but then over the course of the show you re- you recognize that he actually did go a hundred percent at this in a serious way and he does play some of the situations for for laughs but what results was and it sounds terribly dull right a show about farming um but it's actually one of the most eye-opening um pieces of uh, you know filmmaking that i've seen about the realities of and the commercial realities and the uh, practical realities of what it takes to grow our food and you know he's not making a serious attempt to kind of feed the world here mm-hmm. he's just trying to go through the business of 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 growing crops of having livestock of the challenges that farmers are routinely presented with. It gave me an insight into just how hardworking it is. And it was all fabulously entertaining. I mean, it was gripping. Like you with the episode of Made, this is one of those bingeable series where, um, you know, we stayed up late to watch this. I mean, you know, Rashmi and I, um, Rashmi in particular is kind of a lightweight, you know, as soon as the clock gets to around 9 PM, she's like, 8.15. Yeah. <laughs> so bedtime already. Um, and, um, yeah, we, we, we pulled a couple of late nights. I love show. this show. This is, I recommend this show to everyone. It's funny and educational and insightful and creative and, you know, rather like we were all moved by the lovely movie about two years ago called The Biggest Little Farm, mm-hmm. which was a fantastic documentary. This is like the series version of that, but funnier. It's got, it's a bit more lighthearted, but there are some terrific characters in here. And it's just such an eye opener. You know, we spend all our days at an office and it, it even made me think about gosh, maybe there are some simple pleasures to be had doing physical work um, and and growing your own food and taking care of something. Um, It's just wonderful. It's please watch this. This is fantastic. And and where is it on? It's streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so it's it's one of their own produced series. So it's it's always going to be there. And you know, I haven't, I hadn't looked at, and hadn't looked at it until now. But the Rotten Tomatoes doesn't have a critic score for some reason, but the audience score is a hundred percent. So, um, yeah, it's a very well loved show, and they were renewed for season two. So, if that that should say something. So again, our streaming picks are Rashmi, yours was Crashing on Netflix. Yeah, Yazdi, you picked Made, Made on Netflix, and I picked Clarkson's Farm on Amazon Prime.
loads of great stuff. And interestingly, none of us picked movies this week. Hmm. Um, just goes to show a lot of great streaming content is episodic. Okay, three movies to discuss. Uh, let's jump in with the first of them, uh, which is Fauci. Yazdi, can you tell us about Fauci? Yes, so this is a documentary about Dr. Anthony Fauci, and it gives a glimpse into, you know, the infectious disease specialist and expert that he is. And uh, he has led the U.S. fight against every epidemic the country has faced, from AIDS to SARS to Ebola and the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Fauci has become a bit of a lightning rod in recent months because, for whatever reason, the far right has decided to demonize him. And so he's become a controversial figure, even as the far left kind of sees him as a savior who may, you know, be the only person who can walk us out of the plight we are in. So uh, it's... uh, it's good for somebody to make a very objective documentary. I didn't get a chance to, to watch this, but I know Rashmi, you did. Joe, you did as well. Uh, the directors of the documentary are John Hoffman and Janet Tobias. And I presume there are many talking heads, which include Bono, George W. Bush, Francis Collins from the FDA, uh, Fauci himself, uh, Bill Gates, uh, Susan Rice, etc. So... Uh, is this going to change anybody's mind about Fauci? So objective, it's not. Mm. I don't think if you are a hater of Fauci that this is going to change your mind. But for those of us who look up to this person as some actual living hero, then it will only make you feel that more. This is a, a lovely documentary that allows us to look behind what's happening during in intermediate um in between all of those television appearances. And, you know, a remarkable man who's led a remarkable life and contributed so much to our well-being. So um, I think this is kind of a an, an accolade. It's a long infomercial accolade to Dr. Fauci, but it's um, wonderful to watch if you're a fan. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, an attempt was made to kind of make this a balanced portrayal of, of Fauci. He has, um, you know, he's he's not without having made missteps over the course of a very long career. And he himself actually, you know, and they, they put this in the documentary, but he himself wanted to make sure that the filmmakers included some of this kind of, you know, things that he could have maybe done better, things that he'd learned from. Um, and so it, it's quite a well-rounded kind of biography of Fauci. I, for one, um, and I don't know how, you know, I don't know about the other, the, the two of you here, but really, I hadn't heard of Fauci um, in in any real kind of meaningful way until the pandemic. Um, I'm sure I had because he's, he's had these big roles in the NIH for, for years and years. But, you know, it's, it's like many branches of government, unless you pay attention to that stuff. You know, there are lots of names that come up. And so he kind of came to fame for me, you know, during the pandemic and particularly um, alongside, you know, our former president with, um, you know, where he kind of famously had to very deftly negotiate around um, giving public health advice, which was at times in direct conflict with what the president was saying stood next to him. And he, 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 you know, he kind of developed that reputation for for trying to walk back some of the misinformation, um, and so I kind of got to know him there. But no, this is a, a really interesting 
review of his career to date, his roles within government. I had no idea about his uh, the size of his role in the HIV pandemic. Um, and again, you know, that's possibly um, negligent on my part to, to not to not know such an important character in our in, in our healthcare system. But um, yeah, just a very very interesting look at a person from various angles you know it, it, it is deferential so you know I can't I couldn't help but feel that the filmmakers um, despite wanting to be objective really held him high in their esteem and he's he's somewhat on a pedestal here but then again he deserves to be and I think you know the movie doesn't try and give him credit for things that he hadn't done I mean this is just a, a shedding a light on uh, somebody who's really made a life of public service. I, I thought this was wonderful. Yeah, and, and I was going to say the beauty of the movie is that um, it doesn't, it tries not to get political. And I think that's where it's, um, that's where it does a good job. It doesn't just spend time in the era of COVID. What it does is it beautifully marries up almost a parallel path of development of what happened during COVID to what was happening in the HIV um, develop, you know, the AIDS pandemic. And yes, I know, you know, you and I have had the privilege of working in in AIDS, HIV research um, in our day, day jobs, in our past lives. And we kind of lived that era of the fright Mm -hmm. and the fear of what was going on. And to, to, again, peek behind the curtain of what was going on from his perspective. And then it very nicely marries up these patient advocates who were against him, you know, 30 years ago and now have become his advocates. So um, that's very interesting. There's a good journey and a good arc there. And um, yeah, it just, it, it, it talks from like you see his daughter and that, you know, we've not seen his kids talk about him and, you know, he wasn't always the perfect father because he was so interested in developing cures that it kind of left his family life to one side in a way, but really proficient, well-made documentary and, 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 you know, just, just right in terms of length. Yeah. I mean, sight unseen, I, I just, I think there are many fingers to be pointed no matter where you stand politically on the whole pandemic and vaccine situation. But I, I, it's just perplexing to me that, you know, he's demonized like so. I mean, especially because I, I knew him from the AIDS time. I mean, he, he was the forefront uh, infectious diseases expert at that time. And this is a man who has led that NIHS for the last 40 plus years, he has been the top infectious diseases advisor through seven administrations, both Republican and Democratic. So this sudden targeting of him as some kind of a demon, you know, who is hiding information and has done horrible things is just, it's perplexing more than anything else. And I, I feel bad that somebody who should be resting on their laurels you know, late in their life after having had an exceptional career is instead having to face these nightmares of being attacked wherever he goes. But I'll get off my political soapbox. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm eager to watch this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Ken, the movie doesn't shy away from, from some of those things. I mean, I think, um, 
yeah, the, the fact that he has become controversial in certain political circles is is part, very much part of the fabric of society right now. Like you know, and I think they do a good job of of kind of sharing how he feels to be um, under that kind of a spotlight. But you know, it, for him, it's always been about the work, and it, it's it that shows through. And again, I, I don't want to say that this is necessarily. You know, necessarily kind of a propaganda film for Fauci because it's you know it's it's definitely um of that nature but he struggles with that too and I I think that that's well covered yeah I mean yes the you and I have a a mutual friend who (laughs) is clearly uh uh, not not a fan of Fauci and it, it is frustrating because you know we we hear we hear the opposing viewpoint of that um on a regular basis in discussion and it's um you know, it, it's just, it's based on pure misinformation. But Yeah, what I don't understand is, um, it's okay to say that the US government's position on X, Y, and Z was flawed, or the US government deliberately, you know, did experiments which led to the, you know, the creation of, uh, you know, the, the COVID vaccine, if people believe it's man-made, whatever. But I, what surprises me is why they single this one person out. He he is not actually doing the experiments. He leads this organization. And there are, you know, hundreds, 200, 500 of the nation's best infectious diseases experts. So just going after one person just seems very misguided to me. Um, and, you know, nobody's perfect. I mean, yes, Fauci famously said that masks aren't necessary at the start of the pandemic. And then as the data came in, as more information became available, he's now a very strong proponent for masks. And people see that as him being manipulative or somehow when it's just the nature of flip-flopping or or just that he has some vested interest to make monies and he's in with money and he's in with pharma. And you, you hear all this stuff, but it's all it is is just responding to data most of the time. So anyway, I shall... It's hard for me not to get. It's it's yeah. it's our blood and it's our bread and butter. We deal with this on a daily basis. So. Yeah. yeah, but but again, I think the documentary does a good job of not just concentrating on you know the most recent um, example of his work. Yes, uh, and it talks about Ebola and it talks about you know um, again. Mm-hmm. I I was really. It, it was really fascinating to see his role during that whole AIDS, epide- AIDS epidemic. So great documentary. I can sum this one up. Sure. This is definitely a rush out and see if you're interested in this man. And if you're not, you should give it a try anyway. Um, easily for me, an eight out of 10. Yeah, me too. I think um, it's, I, I consider it to be essential watching. I think it's really, um, it's important that we understand uh, who this figure is that has such um, uh, and what drives this figure that has such an influence on the way that our government, um, you know, handles things, include not you know, not just the current COVID pandemic, but um, you know, a lot of kind of public health issues. It's not going to convince anyone who's not a fan. So, um, unfortunately, you know, there there is n- no attempt to hide the groups that kind of poke at Fauci, but like. Rashmi very astutely pointed out um, many of Fauci's critics during the HIV pandemic um, decades ago uh, are now very much um, his biggest proponents. And I think um, that just speaks volumes to kind of understanding um, 
yeah how i want to say objective the, the man was with um their viewpoint and he he doesn't vilify anyone that that is against him he, he's very much a case of trying to just do the right thing for the public health wonderful stuff okay next movie then is the guilty and i think rashmi you're gonna Give us the background on that. I am. So I don't want to say too much about this one. This is out on Netflix and um, also at the cinemas. Um, But this is basically a demoted police officer assigned to a call dispatch desk is conflicted when he receives an emergency phone call from a kidnapped woman. So this is directed by Anton Fuqua. And you may may remember him from... Movies like Southpaw, Training Day, um, he's done The Magnificent Seven, The Equalizer, really impressive um, resume there. And this is written by Nick Pizzolatto, who did the screenplay, Gustav Muller, and it was based on a um, motion picture called Den Skylidge. Den Skyldidge. I've said that wrong. Um, And... uh, Emil Nygaard Albertson. So I think it's probably a Scandinavian movie that's been converted. Um, and basically, main credits here are Jake Gyllenhaal, Riley Kilo, P- Keo, uh, Peter Sarsgaard, um, Ethan Hawke is here. Um, really impressive cast. Paul Dano, who we all love. Um, um, and a whole host of others. Um and so basically, uh, Joe, you and I watched this together. And Yasti, I think you've seen this one too. So mm-hmm. what did you think? Yasti, why don't you start us off? Um, I had heard a lot about this movie um, before I actually watched it. I was very eager to see it because it seems to be in this genre of... I was wrong, but it, it seemed to me it was in the genre of the camera on one person through the entire film. And this movie is not quite that, but almost that. Maybe 80% of the time, it's just about him. And, and it's essentially about a 9-11 dispatch worker who, uh, you know, who gets a call about from a woman who's being abducted and then he kind of tries to help, help her out. Um, this movie was not as claustrophobic as I expected because he's constantly interacting with a lot of characters as things are going on. So this is no buried or it's not... Even that movie Lock, remember with Tom Hardy where he's driving a car through the night uh, or even All is Lost. Um, I give full credit to Jake Gyllenhaal for playing a character who is problematic, let us say. Um, I enjoyed it, but it came off as a little bit of a disappointment. And maybe the, the fault lies within me because I expected this to be a tense, kind of claustrophobic you know, a pressure cooker kind of a movie. And it it was, but it really wasn't. But go on. Joe? Yeah, it didn't really work for me either in terms of um, creating that sense of drama and tension. <laughs> There's a very dangerous situation that gets called into the 911 desk. Jake Gyllenhaal's character intercepts it and then we're supposed to be following this along with um, the, the character as he tries to um, support and get help for um, you know said character um, as part of his job um, you know it goes through the motions and I think it's very extremely well kind of crafted and, and written just 
it fails to generate that tense sense of danger and um the the movie has a twist that was very obvious to me um mm. early on i think you know maybe um less obvious to others but i i kind of figured it out um early on so i don't want to be too spoilery about things you know maybe that's already saying too much but um nonetheless i think there's it, it's just it's just not quite handled with the panache that i would expect something like this and you know we make comparisons to movies like buried and and like you say the the, the lock movie um a lot of it is done through, you know, many of the characters that um, and actors that Rashmi rolled off at the beginning there were were voice only. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I, did, I had no idea up until this moment in time that um, the movie had Paul Dano in it, for mm-hmm. example. They're, they're, they're all done as as voice. So um, overall, it's 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 a decent enough thriller. It's just it's not up there with what it could have been, and I, I feel a sense of disappointment with that. Okay, so I watched a completely different movie because I love this movie. This, I don't know what you guys are talking about. My blood pressure probably went up like 20 millimeters of mercury um, during this this movie. I think G- Jake Gyllenhaal, everything rests on his shoulders. Um, he's a class actor. He can emote so much, so subtly and convey so much just in in the way that he, um, he his physicality Um for me, it was very effective. I didn't get the twist at all. Um, in fact, Joe was like, I predicted that. And, um, you know, we don't talk about movies we're going to review. Um, and I love that it's very sparse on music. The music really just comes towards the end and it's effective. Um, the The phone, the voice acting is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched an interview with um, Jake Gyllenhaal talking about the making of this movie. And it was made during quarantine. And so there were a lot of quarantine um, protocols that they had to abide by. And also Anton Fuqua ended up being exposed to COVID and couldn't direct in the room. So they set up a van that was um, on the periphery of the, the site and he was directing through the van and then they would watch the dailies and then give feedback. Um, and apparently all of the voice acting was done in sequence. So all of the phone calls as they're coming in, the whole thing is actually filmed in sequence. So I don't know if what sort of knowing that in advance um, got me more in the moment and more excited about the movie. Um, but I just thought this was amazing. This is one of the best kind of situation thrillers I've watched this year, I think. Um, I agree it's a little bit overcooked and it could have ended 10 minutes before it did. And it would have been a very satisfying movie. The The last 10 minutes, a little bit questionable for me. But I love this movie. Love. So uh, it's a very effective thriller. I would not hesitate to recommend this to anybody who wants to spend a couple hours or maybe an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, it's efficient. It's very efficient. Uh, and if nothing else, it it's yet another showcase for how, how good Jake Gyllenhaal Hall is an actor. Where are his Oscar nominations? God knows. But I have two big issues with this, and I don't know if it's with the original material. So this is based on the Danish movie, which also is called uh, The Guilty. Um, so I don't know if that comes from the original. And apparently that Danish movie was based somewhat on real life uh, events of something, you know, similar call received by, um, you know, by their equivalent of the 9-11 service. 
So I don't know if, if, if it's inherently with the source material or if it's something that Anthony Fuqua added because I, Anthony Fuqua tends to make these big movies which are hyper-masculine and they're about men, you know, butting heads against men. And many of the reviewers have said he's a maximalist director. He, there's no subtlety in any of his movies. And this is a very, very subtle story. And I think he tries to amp it up. And I, I would really like, I want to see the original because my big problem was I never believed the Jake Gyllenhaal character that how could somebody who is that that arrogant, that irritable, you know, seething with constant uncontrollable anger be put on a 9-11 dispatch, much less be a cop. I mean, I cannot believe that somebody who flies off the handle, I mean, he's so prickly, anything that anybody says to him, he snaps right back. Now, granted, he's at a very particular point in his life. Many other things are happening. So I don't know if that's how that character was written or if Anthony Fuqua, in order to ramp up because he can't do a subtle thing, has kind of made this character more jittery and more, you know, uh, he's just so short with everyone. So that's my one issue. And the second thing is spoilery, but I will say that the way the last part kind of opens up, I think in a post-George Floyd world, it doesn't play as well as it might have before. So I think the whole thing about his involvement with what had transpired and him kind of deliberately... Anyway, it's spoilery, but I, I felt that... Anyway, it kind of felt uncomfortable to me. Hmm. I didn't make that connection, but sure. Yeah, now that you say it, it's a little distasteful. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the point you made about the subtlety is is a good one because it's not at all. And I think the drama is less effective as a consequence of trying to be more dramatic. Um, you know, it, it veers over to my mind in terms of, you know, to the melodrama, there's a lot of shouting and there's a lot of, um, you know, bullying of, of people on the phone to try and mm-hmm. do things. And it all starts to fail the plausibility test for me. That's, yeah. and that, that's, um, that's an unfair thing to leverage because I think, you know, this type of, of movie could have, um, you know, maybe had the effect on me that it had on Rashmi, but I mean, yeah, the, it just didn't pass the sniff test. I, I was like, I don't buy the way that these phone calls are connecting. I don't buy the way that he's having certain things investigated. I don't buy that. There's, there's seemingly some plot holes with, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how things are followed. And there's some very obvious things that I think he should have done, um, that he didn't do. And so it all starts to kind of fall apart and, and lose tension for that. So again, you know, don't want to be too miserable on the movie. I mean, the performance is is top notch, and I think you know that that's kind of where the movie is rescued. A lesser actor would have really made this movie hard to to to, to pal, you know hard for the palate. Yeah, and I think it's really a case of whether you buy into what's happening. So, so for me, Yazidi, I have the exact opposite view to you, which is um, absolutely. I believe a lot of cops who've done terrible things or had terrible things done to them live in a area of um, anger and rage in their daily lives. And so for me, it's not implausible that someone who lives on the edge of that rage and anger, and especially as the movie unfolds, we find out what he did and what he may be up against, that he's a, 
he's he's a bad cop basically um so that seemed very plausible to me that he's that there's some you know need for redemption maybe going on in in here so i think it just depends how you how you approach the movie but um i can wrap this one up um guilty as charged i love this movie um easily an eight out of ten yeah i mean it, it's a good thriller it's not an exceptional thriller and i kind of feel the potential for it to be so um yeah i'm gonna go check out the original i mean it sounds like that may have been yeah i didn't realize it was based on yeah. a um Nordic a generous movie. seven out of ten it's 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 worth it's a worth it's a worthy watch it given that it's on netflix and and that it's you know easy to pick up and go worth a watch yes d yeah, somewhere between a six and a seven for me as well. And I'll I'll be, you know, I'll be generous and I'll give it a seven as well. I I again I I would recommend it to everyone. And maybe it's unfair for me to, you know, uh, burden it with my own political feelings. But I, my thing is, this person should be, should not be a cop at all. You know, I, I would hate to run into a cop like that in real world like, because he's bullying everyone Correct. all the time and he's constantly losing his anger. I'm like. How, you know, but but it, it makes for great entertainment. Exactly what you said, Joe. I thought this would be a 9 out of 10 movie, and it's not, and maybe, again, that's my fault. Um, yeah, 7 out of 10. It's fine. I don't know if I'll remember it at the end of the year. I will. <laughs> okay, final movie of the week, then, is The Last Duel. And Rashmi, I think you're telling us about this one, too. I am. So, um this is um, noteworthy. It's uh, directed by Ridley Scott and also the first time that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck have shared a screen on uh, since uh, Goodwill Hunting all those years ago. Um, and another appearance by our friend Adam Driver, who we spoke about a few podcasts ago in the film Annette. Um, so this is um, King Charles VI um, declares that knight Jean de Carouge settled his dispute with his squire by challenging him to a duel. Um, in addition, this, sa- this stars, um, we, again, we just spoke about um, Jodie Comer. Um, Jodie Comer is the leading lady in this movie. And then it has a whole host of other, um, other people as well. So main actors, Matt Damon, Jodie Comer, Ben Affleck, Adam Driver, um, and a whole host of others. So, um, this is epic. This is big. Is this worth rushing out to see on the big screen or should people wait to watch this one? Joe, why don't you go first? Yikes, I'm hoping you wouldn't ask me that. I was looking for my notes. No, no, it's all good. Um, So, um, Ridley Scott, I mean, what's not, yeah, there's so much that, one of my favourite directors, basically. I think Ridley Scott has had very few misses for me, Uh, although in recent years, I think he's tended to to kind of be a little bit more, um, you know, experimental with the kind of movies that he makes but nonetheless um he does medieval battle movies like nobody else right there's this sense of um, what it was like to live in the times he he pulls no punches in terms of uh, how how the whole world um here is is you know the look and feel the texture of it i was taken right back to you know 13th 14th century france um kind of from an atmospheric perspective and 
Uh, we were fortunate enough to see this on the big screen. So um, again, this is very much a big screen movie and I would urge anyone to see it that way. Um, I thought this was great. Uh, I really enjoyed um, the differing perspectives that the movie cleverly played out. I think, um, you know, performances were, were top notch. This could have fallen easily into the trap of, you know, being ye olde thespian type of nonsense. But I think all of the... Um, all of the performances were, you know, really well judged. Adam Driver in particular, um, really, really, really enjoyed Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's uh, performances as well in this. So, um, and it left me with, you know, a good, good amount to kind of think and talk about in terms of, um, you know, the, the world today and, and how, how uh, the world once was. And, and um, you know, so I, I actually had a great time with this one. I really liked it. Yes, D. Yeah, I think one of, uh, I like this movie a lot and uh, it has a lot to say. It's by no means a perfect film, but I think it's, it's pretty close to one. I, I have a couple issues with it, which we can talk about later. One of the joys of watching this movie for me was, I was like, I knew going into this movie that it was two hours and 45 minutes long. Uh, and I'm like, what the hell? What, what is there to say for two hours and 45 minutes? until I realized the structure of the movie. And I I hesitate to even mention that because discovering the structure of the movie was one of the joys of it. So I recommend that just trust us, stop listening to this podcast, uh, just watch this movie. It's the kind of well-manicured, polished, gorgeous, visually stunning movies that just don't get made these days. There is a, there is a hard-working... Uh, glisten to the whole movie and it's been put together very very well so i'll leave it at that but you know i think we should talk about the structure but fair warning to everybody don't i think you can uh watch the trailers i don't think the trailer gives anything away but for me um i'd really enjoyed the structure of it i love this movie yeah this may be my favorite movie of the year so far um this was not the movie I was expecting to watch. I, you know, as, as most of us, as we always say, we try not to watch trailers before we go into a movie these days because trailers just give too much away. Um, but I was expecting, you know, like Yoldi English uh, battle, you know, which I, and I love this period of history. I just love um, that whole European history um, thing anyway. Um, but this was not the movie I was expecting to see. And I was shocked at how contemporary it is in its telling of a story that happened hundreds of years ago, because it's so relevant. And so for me, it comes down to, this is a movie about feminism, consent and power. And it does all of those stunningly. The actors work so hard in this because it's all in the subtlety in that structure that you talked about, Yazdi. And I'm almost thinking either we do a spoiler alert and then we talk about it or we don't mention that, you know, let, let people discover it for themselves. Um, 
Matt Damon is fantastic. In fact, I thought Matt Damon was Jesse Plemons um, for a minute. He kind of had that edge <laughs> that Jesse Plemons always brings. Sure. And I haven't I see seen that. that edge in Matt Damon for a long, long time. You know, we were talking last week, I think, about Jessica Chastain and how she can play good and evil equally. And again, I believe that Matt Damon is one of those characters that is just a chameleon. And um, so he plays, inhabits this character so well. And again, we spoke about Adam Driver and Annette and how despicable he was there. And again, I found him charming and despicable equally. So Jodie Comer, again, knocked my socks off. Um, She's working really hard. She's working really, really hard. And I hope that this gives her the recognition um, that those people who haven't watched Killing Eve... Um, finally get to see her, her depth and breadth and just how, um, how beautiful she is as well um, on camera. So I loved this movie. I love this movie. I can't wait to watch this again. Yeah, I think the actors had a lot to do here um, because, again, I think... Oh, let's hold off the spoiler just for a little bit longer. But I, th- I do think that the differing perspectives, the differing viewpoints were... Um, were, were definitely uh, a challenge for for the actors and their their particular roles. I think um, you yeah, know they had very much uh, yeah. I'm, I'm struggling to, to do this without the, the, the spoiler. Should we just veer yeah, into spoiler territory? Should. Okay, I'm going to play a little jingle, and then everything after the jingle will be a spoiler. So um, let's just take it from there. So one more second. Final warning. Okay, we are now firmly in spoiler territory. Um, so, yeah, Yazdi, you want to describe the structure and then we'll, we'll get into kind of why I think um, the actors were, were challenged with that. Yeah, so it, in a way, the whole movie is Gladiator meets Rashomon. And Rashomon was this very famous Akira Kurosawa movie, which was also set during the battle. And essentially, it watches the same events play out from the perspective of three different people. And it makes the case for how everything that we remember or everything that we see is completely colored by where we are sitting, what our opinions are, what our preconceived notions are. And I'm fascinated that this was, by the way, uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's first time writing a script together since Goodwill Hunting. So they wrote the script for this. I don't know how they found the source material because I wasn't aware of this, but it's based on history. And then when Ridley Scott was doing it and they realized that they wanted to do the structure where, you know, the same set of events are seen first from Matt Damon's perspective, then from Adam Driver, Adam Driver's perspective, and then from Jodie Comer's perspective, they hired a third writer, Nicole Hall of Senior, and she wrote the, the Jodie Comer part. So ah. it's a true collaboration and it's seen in the structure of the film where not only are you seeing things slightly differently from the perspective of each person, but you're kind of filling in the gaps. It's coloring in the missing pieces everywhere. And then the story starts to gel. And it really affords an exceptional commentary on womanhood. And, and you know, she, the jo- I mean, this should have been Jodie Comer's movie, but because this is a Ridley Scott movie who tends to make more masculine there's a lot of Adam Driver and there's a lot of Matt Damon and there's a lot of uh, Ben Affleck 
I would have personally liked more of her story because in a way, I think this is her movie. This is her coming out, I think. I hope everybody Hollywood realizes how she... That's a very difficult role and she's doing a great job with it. But I I like that it's making this commentary that a pretty well-off woman back then has a choice between kind of a pudgy, uh, uh, unlikable traditional man who wants to put her in her corner or a charming man who wants to rape her. Those are her two choices. Those are her only two choices. And what is she supposed to do? And so there's a lot of stuff. Not just back then, Yazdi. Yeah, well, yeah. And, 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 and it's so contemporary that this, this is what you have to pick from. And so anyway, it's, it's very well constructed. My only complaint about the movie, and I'm sorry, I know you wanted to talk about the structure. My only complaint about the movie is I could have done with with less of the first half an hour there's a lot of you know battle of this and battle of that and i'm like where is this movie going i I think a little bit more uh, more judicious editing up front might have helped and then we need to talk about ben affleck as well yes (laughs) go on structure i mean no you described the structure perfectly i think you know where i was going with that was simply the performances are subtly different in each telling of the story so um and, you know, in some cases quite subtle, in some cases not subtle at all. Um, there's a scene in the movie which is very, very difficult to watch. Um, and I know it's, it, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it's very powerfully directed. Um, there's very little ambiguity in terms of that particular scene, but the moments leading up to it seen from different perspectives, um, you know, are, are definitely there. You know, the background and the history and the perception of what somebody said, what somebody perceived, what somebody thought was said, um, are, are fascinating because, again, when you look at um, <clears throat> how each character is portrayed from each of the different viewpoints, and there are three different characters, that, you know, that each actor had to basically play three different characters, um, even though they're playing the same. So it, it's it's really, really a lot of work for them to bring in the differences in their responses to the same line of dialogue as seen from one person's viewpoint versus another. And I think that alone puts all three of these actors on my short list for, for best actor in their category at the end of the year. Absolutely. I think um, what, once that first chapter's played out and you see the second chapter, you're like, oh, this is what's happening. Um, from that point forward, and then by the time you get to the third chapter, which is the third point of view, the cleverness in the editing around if a character wasn't there, it's not like you see that thing happen again, right? It's, it's. Um, I was watching really carefully for the like con- continuation and it's it's beautiful editing. I mean, if nothing else, this will get, I think award love for, for editing alone and production. And um, again, I would put those three actors top of my list as well. It, it's just a beautiful construct of how we see things. And, and there's, you know, we always say there's, there's three versions of the truth. There's your truth, my truth, and there's actually the truth. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's just, it's such a good narrative as a female watching this I just, I was marveling. I was marveling at at the story being told. 
Um, it was so powerful for me to watch. And I think especially, you know, we've come out of the Me Too era and um, like you said, Yazdi, you know, the choices that are available. And again, I'll say it again, it's so contemporary. This is a story set back in like the 1300s and it's still applicable today. It was just wonderful, wonderfully put together. I, yeah, and I think we shouldn't overlook, and I'm sure at the end of the year, nobody will overlook, but we shouldn't overlook that this is a almost three hour movie set entirely in the 14th century. Every scene in there is done, you know, 400 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right? 600 years no, ago. No, uh, seven, yeah. Almost six, 700 years ago. So just, just I'm trying to think just the, the sheer scope of the production design is just mind-boggling to me. I mean, everything's been shot seemingly on locales. There are a few scenes which did look CGI to me, where there's lots of people in, in, in battle scenes where they felt mildly CGI. But otherwise, just it's impeccably created. Uh, from the costumes to the, you know, time-appropriate, horrendous haircuts... I don't know how Adam Driver got away with keeping his smoldering locks. Yeah, when, he always managed. That must be in his contract. <laughs> it must be in his contract because Ben Affleck and uh, Matt Damon get stuck with these horrible mullets. They are proper mullets. And um, but anyway, I think I think it's just a very handsome movie to look at. And Matt Hairstyle's still around today. Yeah, Matt Damon's, yeah. which really <laughs> made me laugh. And. I think Ben Affleck casts himself most improbably in a role I would not think to cast him in, but this is the most free <laughs> and giddy and silly hedonistic. as I've seen him. And hedonistic. And he, he pulls it off. I, I laughed does, when I first saw yeah. him. I'm like, no, he's not doing that golden boy with the golden hair looks. Uh, but he pulls it off. And I think he's been too uh, burdened of late into playing these alcoholic or you know self-destructive characters and it's good to see him do something fun fun and kind of I nasty feel like he took inspiration from the character in the great um the uh, nicholas the, holt nicholas holt character because i mean Huzzah. you know yeah you know a european um you know king who is just full into debauchery yeah yeah it, you know, maybe that's selling him a little short because yeah, he was excellent in that. He didn't have a lot to do, but he he nailed every scene. Very memorable performance. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, he he had some part in the events which played out, but not not the central part at all. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, good on Matt Damon because he looks as unlikable and as disagreeable a character as I've seen him be in a long time. I mean, he was in. You know, the talented Mr. Ripley, you know, one of his one of best performances. Movies, yeah. But he was such a charmer there. And there was such, I liked him in spite of what he was doing and, you know, how he came to be. This one, he's not a bad person, but Correct. he's just a particular kind of man, you know, who is all about He's himself. a simple man. I, I was going to say. So I mean, to speak. The, the reason it, I think the reason it works is because... Um, as misguided as he is in his thinking, it comes from a noble place. Like there, there, yeah. there, there seems to be. There's a sense of right and wrong that's miscalibrated, but it's there. And and you know, he has to make a, a very difficult personal choice as well. Um, you know, given the time, yeah. Um, and what was going literally to be, life and death. Yeah. What was going to be said about and, you know, 
you could argue there was a pig-headedness about his character. The, this movie fascinated me so much that I went back to Wikipedia and I looked to look. It's it's historically right mm-hmm. on the description, at least, you know, if Wikipedia is to be believed as any source of, you know, truth and um, it's it played out exactly like this. And I think the reason, you know, the artistic choice to, to play it from different perspectives came out of what was effectively a very... Um, a, a huge kind of courtroom drama in those times, and you know each side is effectively described their, you know, they they told their side of things, and 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 I don't know that Catherine, um, Catherine's perspective has, has been documented as much as it has the the, the two male perspectives, but nonetheless, uh, did I say Catherine? Um, it wasn't Catherine? It was. Uh, Jodie Comer's character, yeah, Marguerite. Marguerite thank you, um, yeah, as as the other two characters, but yeah, but yeah, really wonderful um, historical story to kind of bring out with with many modern themes. And the final point I'll make is what struck me in evaluating um, the historical context of it is, you know, we we talk about modern day situations. You know, there's a the Me Too aspect, which I think is interesting, but then there are you know, if we look at what's going on in different parts of the world where where women are still regarded, I guess, as, as the property of their their male, um, you know, um, in patriarchal societies, you know, it, it just goes to show that um, we, we've, we've still got work to do on a global um, sense to... To, you know, this this story was perfectly reasonable at, at, at its time that the person who is wronged in a rape is not the woman. You know, it's the the husband of the of the victim, and it, it's kind of horrific to think about that. So sum up and score. Uh, I mean, you said it, Rashmi, early on that this was possibly your favourite movie of the year so far. Um, yeah, it's up there for me as well. I can't think of anything I've liked more than this. Um, so, you know, it, it's. I can't wait to watch it again. And given its three-hour length, um, and knowing what I know about the finale of the movie will make all three perspectives more interesting to watch that, that second time through. So um, an eight is way too stingy and nine is feels a little too generous but i'm gonna stick with a nine because i thought this was brilliant same for me this is easily easily a nine out of ten i don't know why i'm not giving it a ten um but easily nine out of ten you're in a happy place today no dueling in my mind (laughs) um it's a very handsome masterful movie made by very handsome masterful people in front of and behind the cameras um it has, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it because we've already warned people about spoilers, it has one of the most protracted rape scenes I've seen in a mainstream film in a long time. It goes on for, for a while and it's exceptionally effective. And it's silent. Um, There's no music. Yeah. Oh. And, you know, everything that transpires after what people say in the courts, the jury being all men, there's a lot of stuff going on. I think... I think this the movie is a little slow on the gallop, but once it gets where it is, it's undeniably very powerful. I think it's it all of them who are involved with the making of this film should be should be commended and should be very proud of themselves. Somewhere between an eight and a nine out of ten for me as well. Uh, probably I would settle on an eight and a half, but 
uh, if you go, if you're going to twist my arm, I'll back it down to an eight. But it, it, it's a great film. Why not nine? Three nines. It didn't. It's October. It didn't emotionally move <gasps> me as much. Are yes, you he, made of stone? <laughs> yes. Yes, he's stingy with his nines. We I know. know. <laughs> it. Yeah. He's even stingier with his tens, of which I've yet no, to see there one. There will be no ten. Because that it's like giving a perfect 10 for an Olympic gymnast. That means nobody else can be better than this. No, it means that it's <laughs> what to aspire to. Okay, eight. <laughs> yes, he can eight have his eight. Half, eight and a half. Eight. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you made it this far, we've got on for over an hour. So thank you for sticking with us. Hopefully... Um, those uh, reviews were useful and insightful and help you make your choices as to what to watch this year. It's ramping up as we head towards the end of the year and so I'm kind of excited about what's to come. We've got a couple of big movies that we're all looking forward to. I know Rashmi and Yazdi, Wes Anderson is... The French um, Dispatch. Dune. Dune. Coming up, Dune is something I'm very excited about. Uh, Denise, Denis Villeneuve. Uh, at the helm of uh, the the big sci-fi classic, so yes. James Bond, that one too. So, um, until I guess our next podcast. Thank you for listening. Too many movies, too little time. A goodbye from me and me and me as well.